in the form of their departed ancestors. In the form of their departed ancestors. On the occasion of Shraddha. On the occasion of Shraddha. Purport by Shiva Prabhupada. Shraddha is a ritualistic performance observed by the followers of the Vedas. There is a yearly occasion of 15 days when ritualistic religionists follow the principle of offering oblations to departed souls. Thus, those fathers and ancestors who, by freaks of nature, might not have a gross body for material, nature, for material enjoyment, can again gain such bodies due to the offering of shraddha oblations by their descendants. The performance of shraddha, or offering oblations with prasad, is still current in India, especially at Gaya, where oblations are offered at the lotus feet of Vishnu in a celebrated temple. Because the Lord is thus pleased with the devotional service of the descendants, by His grace He liberates the contented souls of forefathers who do not have gross bodies, and He favors them to again receive a gross body for development of spiritual advancement. Unfortunately, by the influence of Maya, the conditioned soul employs the body he gets for sense gratification, forgetting that such an occupation may lead him to return to an invisible body. The devotee of the Lord, or one who is in Krishna consciousness, however, does not need to perform such ritualistic ceremonies as Shraddha, because he is always pleasing the Supreme Lord. Therefore, his fathers and ancestors, who might have been in difficulty, are automatically relieved. The vivid example is Prahlad Maharaj. Prahlad Maharaj requested Lord Narsinghadev to deliver his sinful father, who had so many times offended the lotus feet of the Lord. The Lord replied that in a family where a Vaishnava like Prahlad is born, not only his father, but his father's father and their fathers, up to the fourteenth father back, are all automatically delivered. The conclusion, therefore, is that Krishna consciousness is the sum total of all good work for the family, for society, and for all living entities. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the author says that a person fully conversant with Krishna consciousness does not perform any rituals because he knows that simply by serving Krishna in full consciousness, all rituals are automatically performed. The Atma Saravam Tamkayam Pitarakratipedire Sadhi Bhyascha Pitri Bhyascha Kavayo Yadvitanvate. The Pitas themselves took possession of the invisible body, the source of their existence. It is through the medium of this invisible body that those who are well versed in the rituals offer oblations to the sages and pitas in the form of their departed ancestors on the occasion of Shraddha. Mukum koroti vacharam pangam lagayati grim jat kripa tamaham bandi sigurum divataninum. So there's one verse we have to look up. A couple of verses <coughs> that explain how those who become devotees are no longer obligated in terms of ordinary worldly uh, requirements because they have taken shelter at the lotus feet of Krishna 
and therefore it is considered that they have already fulfilled all their obligations and all their duties. And just thought of a couple other verses too. Um, in the third canto, teachings of Lord Kapila, there's this very well-known verse from the 33rd chapter. Aho bataswa pachota kadiyanya jivhagri vartate namatubyam te pustapaste jehuvushashnerarya brahmanu churunam grinantiyate Oh, how glorious are they whose tongues are chanting your holy name. Even if born in the family of dog-eaters, such persons are worshipable. Persons who chant the holy name of your lordship must have executed all kinds of austerities and fire sacrifices and achieved all the good manners of the Aryans. To be chanting the holy name of your lordship, they must have bathed in all holy places of pilgrimage, studied the Vedas, and fulfilled everything required. So this verse indicates very clearly that for one who has come to the stage of chanting the holy name of the Lord, then it is to be understood that all other previous requirements that generally lead up to that platform of serving the Lord through His holy name have been fulfilled, including going to the holy places of pilgrimage and bathing in the holy rivers, um, executing all kinds of austerities, performing fire sacrifices, being a very cultured and gentle person, achieving all the good manners of the Aryans. This word Aryan is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna chastises Arjuna uh, in the first chapter, Anarya Jishtam. He says that while you are speaking learned words, you are acting like an un-Aryan, a non-Aryan, because you're lamenting for things on the bodily platform, which is not the uh, characteristic of those who are in the higher stages of civilization, which is what, that is what the Aryan designation means. Those who follow the principles of Vedic culture, that is Aryan. Not those who turn the symbols of Vedic culture, reverse them, and claim they are Aryans, which was done by Hitler in World War II. And they thought Aryan meant blonde hair, blue eyes, um, and Christian. Protestant, mostly. So um, that was a, a bodily, uh, an attempt to, I, I, to take a bodily designation, a race of people who are not that cultured and not advanced in terms of spiritual culture and rubber stamp them as Aryan based on DNA, on genetics. Okay, genetics and DNA is there, but the most important thing is the culture or the cultivation of the higher principles, the Vedic principles of civilization. So, there it is also said in the fifth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, it's at verse. I'll look it up. Yasyasti bhaktir bhagavati akinshana sivaraganas tatra samasa te saraha harama bhaktasya kato mahagana manodatena sati dhamato vahi. That for those who have taken to 
the life of Bhakti, Bhaktir Bhagavati, Akinchana, who have no other life other than the devotional service of Bhakti, devotional service of Bhagavad, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Savarganas Tatra Samasa Tesuraha, that all the good qualities that are manifest in the Samasa Tesuraha, the demigods, the Surahas, then those qualities are automatically achieved by those who are engaging themselves on the path of Krishna consciousness. Sarvara gunas, all those good qualities. Guna means good qualities, and Sarva means all. So all the good qualities, like knowledge, religion, as Prabhupada gives it in the uh, word for word, the good qualities like knowledge, religion, truthfulness, etc. Those are achieved automatically. But one who may be, who is not a devotee, Haralva-bhaktasya, that means Hari, the Lord, Abhaktasya, not a devotee. One who is not a devotee of Krishna. Kato-mahabguna, no matter how wonderful they may appear in ordinary material estimation, Mahaguna, having so many good qualities, like being very rich and very beautiful and very educated and having a high position in fam- uh, in society and a good family, all those things that people want, um, in material estimation, Janma, good birth, Aishvara, richness, uh, having wealth, and material facilities, Janmai Shwarya, Shruta Shribir. Shruta means learning. So one may be very learned in material estimation, or Shribir, possessing very beautiful bodily features. So these are generally the things that people think make one uh, worthy in life. But one may have all those things, Janma, birth, Aishwarya, wealth, Shruta, learning, Shribir, bodily beauty, and we see there are people that are very qualified by their karma. They have all these things. Mahadguna. Uh, but Haravabhaktasya Mahadguna, no matter how great they may be in that. Even expert, the Prabhupada says, mystic yoga, or just simply the honest endeavor of maintaining family and relatives, which is that uh, type of griha dharma, the, the, the most people, this is their dharma. If they're at all a little bit pious, their dharma is griha dharma. That means family life is their religion. Family is their religion. Uh, but we have heard from Lord Rishabdev, what is that family life? It is simply a tightening of the hard knot in the heart in which one becomes attached to um, the griha, the land, the kshetra, the griha, the house, kshetra, the land, atogriha, kshetra, sutapta, suta, sons, apta, uh, prestige and position, vitaira, money. So one is attached to all these things centered around the hridya uh, grantamahu, that heart not in the heart, which is the attachment for the male to the female and the attachment of the female to the male based on sex life. 
So that's griha dharma. So most people think, oh, that is wonderful. That is very elevating. Family, they say, family is everything. And it's true that family life is extremely important uh, in a, a, it's a society where religious principles are practiced. But what happens is that uh, without true uh, God consciousness or bhakti, then that family life is just attachment to the uh, external trappings of bodily existence and sense gratification. And that's all it is. Dehapatra kalatra dishu one becomes very attached to uh, his body, Deha, and his family, members, thinking that they will save him at the time of death, but they are simply fallible soldiers, uh, which cannot save one from the entanglement of repeated birth and death. And this uh, repeated birth and death and attachment to this bodily concept, this is the real problem. This is the real conundrum that entangles a living entity. That is referred to in today's purport by Srila Prabhupada, where he says, um, this is very wonderful what he says, Unfortunately, by the influence of Maya, the conditioned soul employs the body he gets for sense gratification, forgetting that such an occupation may lead him to return to an invisible body. So someone may say, well, what is your occupation? Oh, my occupation is that I'm using this body for sense gratification and complete forgetfulness of God. So that's the true occupation of people. Therefore, that is referred to as griha dharma, thinking that, oh, this body, this family life, the household, the children, the money, the work, everything I do to try to enjoy this body, these senses, that is my religion, griha dharma. Or we could also break it down in a different way and say that modern society has a fourfold path of religion. Meat eating, intoxication, illicit sex, and gambling. That's the fourfold path of religion of modern people. Or at least they take that as if it were religion. As if, in other words, the kind of devotion that you should have for God, the devotion and love that you have for the Supreme Lord that you exhibit in your life by performing activities of devotion is um, thrown aside and these uh, v-karmic activities or forbidden activities are taken as religion. Therefore Bhagavad Gita very clearly says that <coughs> for those <coughs> who are not on the path of Krishna consciousness and have accepted this asuram bhava marshitaha, taken shelter of this asura bhava, this demoniac consciousness. For them, when they see religion, they think, oh, that's irreligion. They see devotees chanting and dancing and offering everything to Krishna. They think, oh, that's evil. That is so misled. That is so wrong. Those people are so wrong. The real thing is you devote yourself to your family and you enjoy your life. That is the proper thing. That is real religion. So when they see real religion, they think, that's bogus. And when they see irreligion, they think, that is religion. 
the religion of the common man, Griha Dharma. So, um, this is going on all over the world in the name of religion, also. Uh, I grew up in the, <clears throat> mostly in the Christian South, and you see the consciousness of the people and their idea of religion. And it, that's to go to church on Sunday and offer some little lip service and little bit, and that's their devotion to God. Finish. One hour, get back home, uh, grab the um, grab the burgers, and go watch the football game, drink beer. And to them, that's religion, and that's perfect. That's perfectly good. It's all within the scope of the of the uh, foolish misconception that I am the enjoyer of the body and the senses. Like uh, one of our workers said to uh, Sundamani uh, recently that um, she mentioned that yeah, we have our Sunday feast, Sundays a day when you should have some religious observance and the worker says Sunday's a day for drinking beer, Sunday's for drinking and of course watching football. So that's what Sunday's for. That's Griha Dharma. Uh, completely misled. Completely the opposite of what is religion. So um, Prabhupada renders this so nicely. He says, the conditioned soul employs the body he gets for sense gratification. So this is like, uh, that becomes one's occupation. And that occupation leads one to what? Take another birth, even to get an invisible ghostly body. And that has been covered in a couple of the previous verses. That is a very uh, untenable situation for the soul. To have a ghostly body means no gross body, but just the subtle body, the mind, intelligence, and the false ego. And one is stuck, kind of in the nether position. One, one can't enjoy the senses of having a gross body, but one has all the desires and the inclination to do so, but he can't. Therefore, such unfortunate living entities, they give trouble to embodied living beings and they try to take over their body, or at least for a second, enter the mind while the uh, person is asleep, and then grab the body really quickly, try to squeeze out some sense gratification, and then leave. <laughs> some of you may have had that experience of having the ghost come upon you. <clears throat> but Srila Prabhupada said that he was ghost-proof, and uh, he had one factory in Lucknow, a, he was doing some manufacturing, some pharmaceuticals. When Shamasundar uh, told Prabhupada that he had a previous problem with a drug conviction and he may have to go to jail for some time, Prabhupada said, yes, I was selling drugs also. <laughs> but he was manufacturing pharmaceuticals and then he had his own pharmacy. And he was working with a doctor. The doctor would prescribe the medicine and then he would fill the prescriptions the Prayag Pharmacy in Allahabad in the 1930s. <laughs> so, um, despite all of that, so sometimes these uh, beings with what Prabhupada says is called the invisible body, that means they have no gross body, they give great trouble to the 
embodied living beings and try to take their bodies. So if you've ever had that experience where you find yourself in that alpha state and you can't move, then you've been taken over by, you've been invaded by some invisibly bodied living being. And of course the way to throw them off is you chant Hare Krishna, they can't stand that. So uh, you can try to Krishna! And when you get out Krishna, they're gone just like that. Anybody else have this experience ever? I have. Some, for some reason they like me. Sweetie, you know. Get this guy. Um, and Prabhupada said he was ghost proof, so when, when he had this factory in Lucknow, um, sometime in the late 1940s, early 1950s, I believe. So the, um, the workers, they were all scared. Oh, Babu, Babu, there's a ghost, there's a ghost. So Prabhupada uh, walked through the building. They had rented some building, a factory building, and he chanted Hare Krishna. He said, okay, now the ghosts are gone. A similar incident happened when Srila Prabhupada was staying uh, for some time at the estate known as Tittenhurst, which belonged to John and Yoko, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Um, there was one, a gardener on the estate living in one of the servants' houses, and there was, he was having trouble, a ghost was making all these noises at night, you know, the typical British ghost dragging the chain across the floor and making noises. And so he told the devotees, and Prabhupada told the devotees, okay, all right, go to his place and have a kirtan. So they had a kirtan, and then after about like a half an hour or so, or an hour of kirtan, then they, everyone felt this great release of pressure. Wow. And then after that, the gentleman, I forget his name, um, he, the ghost was gone and he could get a good night's sleep. And he was so grateful to Prabhupada. And he was a very humble man. He, he would you know, offer his pranams to Prabhupada. He really appreciated Sri Prabhupada, who saved him from the ghost <laughs> by having the devotees chant Hare Krishna. So, um, there are such living beings, so you can't see them with your eyes, but you can feel their presence, especially when you get uh, attacked. Something I found that always works too, if some type of living being like that makes their presence known, um, you get a little bell and you light some incense, you ring the bell, you offer it to your deities or a picture of Krishna in your room, and then you wave the incense around the room and it creates like a kavacha, a shield, and then they won't come back. They don't like that. They don't like Krishna conscious stuff at all. Uh, it was said by one devotee, and I believe Prabhupada said this, that when you chant Hare Krishna, it's like throwing stones at the ghosts. So if you get hit by stones, you get, somebody's throwing stones at you, you, know, you remove yourself from the place, you go away. So that's what happens when you chant Hare Krishna. It removes it all inauspiciousness. <clears throat> and I had some other experiences too. I lived in the Boston Temple in the late 1970s. And there was one room on the fourth floor of the temple. Somebody must have died in that room. And that room was known to be ghostly haunted. And for a while, our Sadaputa Prabhu, the great scientist and devotee scholar, 
lived in that room. And Sadapuja used to sleep with the light on at night in that room. <laughs> but then we had one devotee who was a very uh, interested in ritualistic uh, performances. He was very, he was very a good pujari. He knew all the mantras, and he did what he called a Buddha puja, where he went throughout the whole temple um, with a conch shell, a bell ringing, and water that had been offered to the deities and was throwing the holy water because the ghosts don't want, they don't want to get touched by that sacred things. And he was chanting, Om Shaung Narasim Haya Namaha. He was chanting these different Nishringa mantras and going throughout the temple with a little procession of kirtan behind. Blowing the conch shell, ringing the bell, ding, 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 ding. Om Shaung Narasim Haya Namaha. And then behind was coming uh, devotees with we're done cartels, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and after that, no more problem. There was another temple that was famous for its uh, ghostly haunted. Uh, hmm? Court. Well, I never went to Krum Court, but you can tell us that story. This is the, uh, the skyscraper, the 11-story building on 55th Street in Manhattan. And I got my first initiation and second initiation there. Every time I spent the night in that temple, I got attacked by a ghost without fail. And I spent two weeks there one time uh, working on the Rathyatra cards right before the 1978 Rathyatra. And the place had formerly been a, uh, like a nursing home, a retirement home, with you know, medical assisted, and many people had died there. And so it was well known. You were shaking your head. You knew this also. <laughs> that was a problem. There was even one incident where the leader of the temple, who was a sannyasi, was uh, forced by this. There's these kind of ghosts called Brahma Rakshashas. They're very powerful ghosts, far beyond the power of ordinary ghosts. Um, had taken possession of him, he couldn't move it, and he was trying to force him to go out the window on the uh, 10th floor or something like that, trying to push him out the window. <clears throat> so, some of these stories may be apocryphal, but nonetheless, uh, these things exist according to Srimad Bhagavatam. We're not making this stuff up. Uh, it's presented in the Bhagavad Purana, but devotees have been around for a while, have experienced these things, because devotees are very, uh, they become very more subtly refined in their perception and they can perceive things that otherwise ordinary people may not perceive. Yeah. And if the ghost thinks that someone is weak, either mentally or physically, uh, then they may attack them and even cause them to become insane, Prabhupada mentioned in the previous verse. <clears throat> so these things are going on. But fortunately, Krishna consciousness means to be ghost-proof and all, all such entities are driven far away. Therefore, the temple is a very sanctified, uh, purified place due to the constant chanting of the holy name. Uh, and therefore, it is my determination to, uh, especially while the restaurant is closed, to have all day long playing the Prabhupada Bhajans, because that creates a, a sanctified, purified atmosphere, uh, and it keeps the subtle energy on the Krishna conscious level. So I hope no one becomes too upset by the playing of those bhajans. Wait, we'll get to your question. I was gonna say, we really appreciate that. Oh, okay. That's nice. <laughs> That's good.
though somebody may not appreciate it, but I am determined. Uh, when I was living in Alachua, they had uh, they had a CD player with Prabhupada Bhajans in rotation, a multi-CD player, and they also had a radio broadcast. So I was living in one house in downtown Alachua, and then that radio station, the temple station, would play the Prabhupada Bhajans all day long. So all you had to do was have an FM radio and tune in, and so I used to have that in the house. I was renting a couple of rooms in a big old hundred-year-old house. And then all day long the Prabhupada Bhajans were playing in the house. Uh, very nice. So um, that's what we're doing here also. And so that one, one devotee was saying, you know, oh, you should have this playing during the restaurant. Well, the restaurant, you know, we have a perhaps a little bit of a different thing that we may play some new age or some soft, mellow music because, you know, pure Krishna consciousness may be a little much for some people even though they don't know they're getting that pure Krishna consciousness in the prasadam. <clears throat> but if you're standing right in front of their face and you drop a beat, while they're trying to eat, then that may not be the best strategy. <laughs> so we may play some new age music or whatever. <clears throat> or uh, some other bhajans. But that's all right. Prabhupada said play Sankirtan in a mild voice. <laughs> you know, not screaming fired up Kirtan, but the mellow bhajan type of thing, which Prabhupada does so beautifully. As a matter of fact, the reading we're going to read, the, uh, the offering we're going to read in the Vyasa Puja book, uh, in a, a couple of days, is a poem that's based on hearing Prabhupada sing the Dasa Avatar Stotra in the temple uh, recording. It's a very nice offering. And uh, by Bhakti Markswami, we'll get to that as soon as we finish the current offering, which will be done tomorrow. It's very nice. <clears throat> so, let's see, what else? So, again, summarize this point that if you uh, fully take to Krishna consciousness, then other duties that are ordinarily obligatory, um, what's that verse? There's a verse by Mata Vindapuri, if I can find it quickly, where he, that would be under the Acharya section here. <clears throat> 